touchdown, running in the first place for number one. Harris drops back, fades to the left, pressure on, and he goes down. Ja'Garrett Davis gets home, and the all-black sideline explodes here in Hamilton. Caught at the five, it went through Marcus Dale's hands, and Kyron Moore, the presence of mind to catch it, and step out of bounds at the five with 20 seconds to go. Pressure loads it up, goes down the field, taking a shot into the end zone. He caught it. Touchdown, Tigertown. Brandon Banks, how did he do it? I have an unpopular Canadian football tweet that I'd like to, or opinion, I should say, a Canadian football opinion that I would like to bring up for you right now, okay? Oh, boy. This is, this is not something that a lot of people are talking about. It's not something I think you're going to see a lot of people talk about in the next little while. I'm kind of out on an island. I feel vulnerable, but I hope that this is a safe space where I can bring my thoughts and I cannot be persecuted for them. The Alfonso Davies goal, not that good. Oh, come on. The guy from Panama overruns it, but overruns it at half speed. Well, because he's going near the sideline. Yeah, and but he going, didn't. Oh, he Alfonso he was didn't go to touch. Alfonso Davies didn't juke him. He waited for the dude to clumsily run himself past the ball, and then Alfonso's like, "Okay, I'll just take it." Now, when he did, <laughs> when he did that, he takes the ball, and he makes a great move to get himself a little bit of separation. But then Gareth Wheeler on the call is just having a, a Davies gasm in the booth as one is wont to do when you have a, a big platform like that in a big match. And he says, and the finishing ability, I'm like, he, he pounded it, but let's not act like he curved it into the top corner from oh, four, 40 Marsh. yards out. He pounded it along the ground into the short corner and the keeper was frozen. Like I understand the pace on it was great, but the start and the end was like a solid, like seven, seven and a half, eight out of 10. The, the move that he makes to get the separation, 10 out of 10. Incredible. But eh, if he's not the 20-year-old kid from Canada, if that's some American international that's doing that, do you think they're running that to lead sports center? Marsh, come on. At, at beyond top speed, he dinks the ball away from a sleeping Pan Panamanian defender right on the touchline. Come on. He didn't take it away from him. The guy overran it at half speed. <laughs> Right, but but Davies is going full speed, which is twice as fast as anybody else yes, runs in soccer. And he controls it. And you're like, oh my, how did he do that? Like that he and that he even gets there for that foot race. Yeah, like I agree. That. When you oh see my him, my, my my favorite shot of that whole thing is not even keeping the ball in bounds. It's not making the move to get the separation to get your your shot off. It's not the lefty strike that pounds it across the turf nice little worm burner i believe as we call it back in the old football days uh but it's none of those things it's the wide shot of where it's like well a chance for a counterattack here down the right side and oh look there's the person screaming across the grass that uh, what number is it's a blur oh and he has the ball it's like alfonso davies at full speed is oh. ridiculous is ridiculous like watching Crazy. him outrun people in the open field is just insane yeah, I uh, I look forward to border services coming to your house, ushering <laughs> you and your fiance and your child uh, anywhere else other than Canada because that was a terror. Why don't you just go spit on Christine Sinclair while you're at it? <laughs> no, just I will spit never. Spit in her face. No, the women's program. I got, trust me, I got great respect for them. I'm I'm watching all of their matches. Okay, they are fantastic. The men's program. Uh, <laughs> this this kind of yep, feels fair. like it. Just to compare it to uh, NCAA football, because let's be real, like. It means something for Canada to get through World Cup qualifiers and to get into the World Cup and to be seen on the international stage. That's a huge deal. But that's kind of like Appalachian State getting it to the Orange Bowl to get beat by 50 by the ACC second place team. So, and, and that's why I kind of find it interesting is that like Canada is about to lose its mind about Alfonso Davies and this goal and this moment and all. They're going to make the World Cup and all this stuff. And it's like in college football, there's four good teams every year. And sometimes the fourth good team, be it an Oklahoma or a Notre Dame, they get slapped by a Clemson, a Georgia, or an Alabama. Like it's essentially a five, six team league and everybody else is just diving in, hoping to get a win like Texas A&M did to Alabama or like Kentucky did to Florida or these things happen. But uh, really in the big picture, it's like 
I think we know who the powers that be are going to be oh. move, moving forward. So uh, let's, uh, I, I guess, enjoy the moment more than we should and realize where we are in the international stage. You're speaking like you've someone who has never rewatched Boise State and the Statue of Liberty play beating whoever that was in the Sugar Bowl, Alabama, Oklahoma, uh, or whatever that was. Jared Zabransky to Ian Johnson, and then the proposal right afterwards. I've watched hey, it many times. That's what I'm saying. That's <laughs> somebody's got to be Boise State, and there's no reason to think it's Canada when it gets to a World Cup. Although it is a November World Cup in Qatar. Uh, and who the hell knows what that's gonna be? Are they still about. are they still doing that in Qatar? I'm so out of the well, loop on anything that's not CFL. We're we're only so offended by thousands of of deaths of slave laborers in the Middle East. So yeah. we're going ahead with it. Yeah, but, let's take away your passports when you sign up to work for us, and then you die, and then we don't tell anybody. Okay. When I when I was covering soccer, I'll just be super quick. Uh, this was when the proposals were going out for who's going to host the World Cup, and Qatar's proposal was unbelievable. Like. We're going to have all these stadiums. They'll all be air conditioned. Sure, it'll be 50 degrees Celsius outside, but no one will feel it because every place people walk will be air conditioned. And then, yeah, here we are 12 years later, and none of that has ever even remotely come true because <laughs> now they're they're killing migrants left and right. And, uh, oh, by the way, we had to move the World Cup to the wintertime because that was a lie the whole time. Uh, it's so scary how that is. By the way, I've always actually, I've never really known the answer to this. Oh, okay. I've never really known the answer to this. How you're actually supposed to say the name of that country that the World Cup yeah. is going into. I've pulled up a YouTube video here. Let's see. Let's we see. are Tar looking at how to like... pronounce the name of this country located in the Middle East. This is a relatively small peninsula in the Persian Gulf whose terrain is made from arid desert and a long shoreline of beaches and dunes. The capital Doha is known for its very futuristic skyscrapers and other ultra-modern architecture inspired by the ancient really Islamic design. Great. How do you pronounce the name of this country? Yeah. Oh, I thought people thought it was Cutter. That's what I'd heard some people say. But yeah, I feel like there was an episode of The West Wing where they were calling it Cutter. And there are certain times where, so I, yeah, I've gone Qatar. I like Qatar. It's it's easy. Like Uh, guitar. Do you like to say Mortada or? I, uh, Hakuna Mortada. I, I think that's probably how I haven't had to call his name yet. And I think by the time the West final rolls around, if the riders are in it, I won't have to call his name because he's four of 10 on his field goals right now. So I'm not a hundred percent sure on that one. Uh, I wish that I could be as forgiving of anything in my life as Mike O'Shea is of, uh, of Ali Mortada. I really do. It's, it's the relationship that I, I, I aim to build my own personal relationships, uh, around because it's inspiring. Uh, it's against the grain. And I really don't understand how every time he misses a kick, the first person to say, hey, it's going to be okay. Don't worry, kid. Get out there is Mike O'Shea. I'm like, shouldn't he be the one that's the most frustrated by all of this? One would think so. That's we've been we've been waiting. Right. Well, we've kind of had with the Bombers as we transitioned to CFL. All I've had with the Bombers is, oh, man, if Kolaris gets hurt, they're in trouble. Well, this kicker thing hasn't really hurt them yet. But it's laying out there, right? When when the kicker that you're determined to go with, at least for this week, is four of ten, and I believe he's missed a convert as well. On top of that, and is by expected points added the worst kicker in the CFL. That could be a thing. Yeah. If you get some bad bounces in a game, you might need your kicker and a guy who's maxed out at 29 yards so far. That's a problem. Yeah, uh, my whole thing with this too is that it, there's no way it's a money thing, right? Like. Because if it was a money thing, I'm pretty sure Mark Leggio could go four of ten. Like, I'm pretty sure you could ask him to do all of the kicking jobs and just save yourself another minimum salary or whatever you're paying Ali Mortada per game. But I, it's one of the most confusing things of the CFL season because Winnipeg looks unstoppable. Like, in basically every phase except for special teams, even the coverage of their their special teams units is exceptional. Their, their pass rush, exceptional. The way they play the football in the air in their defensive backfield, exceptional. Their passing attack, not the greatest in the league, but effective. Their ground mm-hmm. game, they beat you up up front. They have a style. They have a system. They have a coaching staff. And then it's like, yeah, but the kicking game's pretty stinky. Okay, what are you doing to fix it? I don't know. Just keep trotting them out there. Let's see what happens. It's like, it's like what? what? It doesn't make any sense. That's what they were going to do at quarterback, though, in 2019, right? Was just keep trotting this revolution out there until they went, oh, wait, injured and Zach Kolaris, we can get him? Oh, okay. Uh, maybe that's that's their their thing. I 
guys have been cut for way less than what Mortada has done, right? Uh, the BC kicker, Takeru Yamasaki, had a bad game against Saskatchewan in week one, rough time in week two, and we'll never probably see him in the CFL again. He's long gone, replaced by Jimmy Camacho. Uh, this is what the third kicker the Bombers have been through this year. Uh, it's, it's incredible. Honestly, um, it's bad. Like, it's bad. The Bombers kickers this season, like I said, 16 points below expected for the season. Rene Paredes himself, 10 points above expected. So that's every field goal, where they kicked it from, how many points have the average scored in the last decade plus. They're, they're in real trouble in that spot. I have a backdoor philosophy, Marsh, that it actually could be fantastic <laughs> for the Bombers to have a terrible kicker. I think either roll the terrible kicker and it could help you endlessly or violate all the salary cap things you promised and go <laughs> buy one because there's guys, there's Americans available that, that have kicked in the CFL that you could go get. Which side do you want to explore first? Uh, I want to explore the why it could be good for them because I, I'm so tired of people going, hey, just go get Liram Hiralahu. It's like, it's very obvious Liram wants to be an NFL kicker and he's very close to dabbling. Like if he gets enough of a shot, and he sticks with a team and he plays for a couple of years, he is set financially for the remainder of his life if he's not an idiot with his money. And I know Liram, he's not an idiot. So it's like, there's a reason that dude is chasing that dream is because he's really bleeping close. So that's off the table. I bet you Justin Medlock hasn't even thought about kicking a football in X amount of time. He's probably been playing so much goddamn golf. He doesn't even know what a football looks like at this point. Like he can make the PGA tour before he could come back into the CFL and crush a 60 yard punt or a, a 50 yard field goal like he did before. So the idea of, of rinse, recycle, bring back the names that, you know, I appreciate why people, why people do that, but I don't see that happening. So I'm curious why you think uh, this is uh, this is a good thing for, is it because it's going to force them to be more aggressive? Yeah, I love it. I love it. Uh, also, I'll put up the name Brett Maher. He's had three workouts with NFL teams yeah. in the last few weeks. Hey, Brett, can you take 70 grand and come kick with us? Maybe just for a couple of games? That'd be fantastic. Yeah. Here, and this is this is part of what I hoped for Winnipeg for, for the season was you're, you lost Justin Medlock. You knew you were losing Medlock. That dude's the greatest kicker in the history of the CFL, in my mind. And numbers-wise, in the last 15 years, it's not particularly close with the opportunities he had and how well he converted them. But now you go into the season and you don't have a guy who, when you go, okay, we're at the plus 50, we're in field goal range. You, you don't have that because those guys don't really exist very often at the Canadian Football League level. Right. So what I wanted them to do was go, okay, well, what are we going to do? Are we going to punt or are we going to go for it when we're in third down range? I want them to be the team that goes for it because that, that to me is a real edge that offenses in this league are not pushing at all. As the NFL gets more and more and more going on fourth down, fourth and two, fourth and three, fourth and six. I saw fourth and 14 when they didn't, it wasn't 100% necessary this past weekend. I want, the, I want the CFL to take that with third and two, three, four, five, and six, and let's go for it. Let's play like we're going on all three downs. Oh, we're the Bombers. We're at the 45. We don't have a kicker who can hit from 52. Zach, it's second and 10. All right, we got two plays because we're not punting this thing. Yeah, Punts from the... Punts from plus territory are so overrated in the CFL versus what they net. And I'm going on a lot of angles here. But if you just said, hey, you got three downs to play with. Buck, you and Zach figure this out. You got three downs to play with. You have all these receivers. You have Andrew Harris. We're not kicking. We're not kicking yeah. until we're at the 30. So here's my, th and I, I don't disagree with any of that. And I agree with you so much on the plus territory punting. It's like, we all get excited when you slice one inside the 10 yard line. It's like, whoa, look at that. It's like, who cares? Like, yeah, that's not going to really help you in the long haul. If you can do it consistently, then sure. But it's still over the long haul is not not going to change the field position enough because flipping the field in the CFL is about kicking it from your own 30 and backing somebody up and then winning that back and forth. You essentially stop winning the back and forth when you have nowhere to punt the ball other than 40 yards down the field and pin them inside the 10th. It's like you're no longer flipping field position. You're just hoping that you pin them and play good defense. And if they win their way out of that field position, well, that punt was useless at that point. Uh, and it doesn't really help you that much. So in terms of the idea of, hey, you've got three downs to play with it here, Winnipeg, I feel like, is the team that is best set up to be able to maximize that. And it's because of the running game. Yeah. Because what we see in the NFL is if you can get four yards per carry, which isn't that great, if you can get four yards per carry, uh, four, eight, 12, that's a first down. Like I've been to Bill's games when they were trash. 
and they just wanted to run the football endlessly because they wanted to get the hell out of the stadium as quickly as possible because they knew they were going to lose because they didn't have a quarterback, they didn't have any skill position players. And so they would just first down, second down, third down. And yeah, if you go off schedule and you have a loss of two on second down after your gain of four on first down, then all of a sudden you're in, uh, you know, back in essentially second or third and 10, third and eight kind of thing. And it's like, then you have to start thinking about throwing it. But for Winnipeg, like, you know how rare it is? I would actually be interested in seeing on their rushing attempts here. I'm, I can actually pull this up while we're talking. Percentage of times that they've gone backwards on rushing attempts. Because it, to my mind, like, it's it's got to be amongst the lowest in the league because they don't give up penetration in the backfield very much. And Andrew Harris runs through arm tackles as well as anybody. Yeah. Winnipeg has four carries for a loss from the running back this season for minus nine yards. Uh, the next lowest, a uh, few teams have six, but they're the lowest at four carries for a yeah. loss. Yeah, there yeah. you go. Wow, you had that fast. I was going to have to dig through but that stuff. It's my line yard stat. It was up <laughs> on one of my files. Um, th- there's, yeah, there's just a lot of things. And punting in plus territory, I, teams need to stop. Like, I don't know if teams know how bad they are at doing it. I, I, I posted some stats earlier on Wednesday about how Richie Leone and Cody Grace are absolutely burning it up this season. They have 30-plus territory punts between them. None have gone for singles, which is phenomenal. Crazy. But if, if you're punting from your opponent's 45, one, my head is going to pop off in the booth. But two, in, in my database, you average 23 yards net, right? So big, hairy deal. It goes in, you get a point, it comes to the 35, you net it out 10 yards. You fly it up in the air, you take a 15-yard no-yards penalty because guys didn't time it right. Now you've netted eight yards. You, you average moving the ball from their 45 to their 22. Uh, congratulations, but that's worth one point. Like, yeah. just barely one point of value. And you make a real good point about flipping field position is from your own end. As Here's how it works with the CFL. Uh, the valuable yards are near your own goal line. As you get further away from your goal line, the yards become less valuable to you from an expected points perspective. So if you're booting out from your one, you get it to 55, you've done a great thing, but the 55 to you put it out at their one yard line, you haven't done the same thing. So this, this plus territory punting can go away and, you know, we can stop team. Certain teams can stop being afraid of long field goals. I'd love that too, but let's use our downs. Mm -hmm. Like if, this thing, like the NFL, you're watching Kansas, not Kansas City, the Chargers yeah. go for it on fourth and two from their own 24 in, what was it, the second quarter of that game? And you go, okay, well, this is hit. The Chargers and Ravens will play on Sunday. Minimum 10 times they'll go for it on fourth down in that game between those two teams. We, this needs to come to the CFL. And the Bombers, start playing with that now. Like you have three games of cushion. You're hosting the West Final. Yeah. Start playing with that now. Go, Hey, Allie, if it's under 30 yards, you're in. But in the meantime, Zach, we're going to figure out how we're going to convert third and five, which I'll bring up some numbers in a second, is not as hard as people think it is. Yeah, and also the idea of uh, expanding your three-down package, like your third-down package, I think is important. And the sooner you get to play with it, and this is the advantage that Winnipeg has, as you say, they're going to host the West Final, they're ahead in the standings and all the rest, is that you can start to mess around with things and you can start to lay down decoy tape. And decoy, oh, tape yeah. is, decoy tape is a very real thing this time of year that I feel like we forget about until you get in the final quarter of the season where, <laughs> and I feel like Saskatchewan's been throwing out decoy tape all year long because why are they starting every game in the triple I-back formation? Uh, I don't know. What, it's every single game, Jason Moss is just like, hey, running back, fullback, fullback, tight end, extra offensive lineman, play action, just kidding. We're never going to run the ball out of this and then we're going to throw it away. We're never going to run it the rest of the game. Okay, sure. Like, I don't know what the purpose of that is. I'm wondering if we get to a playoff game and he runs that like 14 snaps in the game because that would be like, oh, okay, that's what that was for. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, the decoy tape on the third down packages, they have the ability right now to start laying down stuff that when teams are prepping for them in the playoffs, they're going to say, hey, guys, if, if they go on third, here's what they've run this year. And it, I mean, you can really play around with that and you can start to throw teams off the scent so that it pays off when you actually need it in the playoffs. Like this, there's so many little advantages to being in Winnipeg situation when the league itself has been chasing them. Um, and the fact that they've gained the confidence as well of, of running through the West in the last month or so here between uh, BC and Saskatchewan and Edmonton. They're going to run through Edmonton again, I think, unless Taylor Cornelius pulls a 
UConn Cornelius uh, golden horseshoe out of his butt. I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. So, yeah. Uh, but yeah, what are, what are the numbers you got for us here? Third and zero CFL. This is 2015 to 19 because I haven't added this new year to it. Yep. Uh, third and zero converted 90% of the time, more than 90% of the time. Third and one, 80% of the time. Third and two, 70% of the time. Third and three, four, and five converted 60% of the time in the CFL. Pardon me, this is second and third down. Uh, three, four, and five. Uh, third and six, seven uh, converted 50% of the time. Eight, nine, 10 converted 40% of the time. 50% of the time convert <laughs> third six. Let's not, let's stop being afraid of it. Let's, yeah. it's not as bad as you think. Um, uh, Pete Carroll's getting dragged today because he was talking about uh, fourth downs and how he goes with his gut. And people point out, it's strange that your gut is always, uh, that your gut always tells you to punt in those situations. <laughs> Isn't that weird how your gut, how the gut instinct is to absolutely get rid of the ball and be afraid of having the football? And uh, one of the guys, Ben Baldwin, in these situations where you should punt, he went for it 2% of the time. He's more aggressive than he should have been 2% of the time. But the reverse, when he should have gone for it, situations where you should go for it or you should really go for it, he he would punt like 90% of the time. And you go, isn't it strange how, how coaches' guts always tell them to kick the ball away and not, oh, I had this gut feeling that we should go for it. I, I don't think you're listening to your gut. I think you're listening to your scared brain at that moment. And is, and Winnipeg can counteract all of that. Uh, who is the, like taking Winnipeg, not necessarily out of the equation, but not just focusing on them. Who is the coaching staff that you are surprised they have not watched what's happening in the NFL and jumped at the opportunity to be first through that door in the CFL? Because for me, and it's not because I live in Hamilton, but Orlando Steinauer believes in taking chances and Tommy Condell is an outside the box thinker. So I'm actually surprised that they haven't just doubled down on this and been like, you know what? Like our offense isn't moving the ball that well. Our defense plays pretty good. We've got solid special teams right now. Why would we not take more risks on offense in order to try and put more points up to support our defense and special teams that have held us in a bunch of games? I think it's Hamilton for me. Is that the same reasoning why you would go with them? I, I was going to say Hamilton or Rick Campbell in BC, right? Because Campbell, two years ago, two seasons, three seasons ago, was the when we score first, we're going to go for two and put you down eight nothing, right? I was hoping that that would catch on with him and they'd be keep going for two and they'd push these edges. And and there's the thing, right? Coaches, it nothing frustrates me more than when coaches say, we're going to trust our defense. It's like, well, if you trust your defense, Hamilton's a perfect example in those Watford games, right? Hey, trust your defense. Watford can do the, I mean, Watford is not great at throwing the ball, but the things they could do in that offense and imagine Watford or even now Masoli with here's Braylon Addison and here's, uh, here's Dunbar on the outside. Here's Malik Irons. Cause he's going off in this game. Imagine the things you could do if you needed three yards on third down, they would have no idea what's coming. Right. They could Hamilton really could be leading the way. And I honestly thought Steinauer would be the guy because he he seems to love going for two. And I thought, oh, this maybe you are analytically inclined and you recognize there are these edges that can be pushed. And you know that your defense, like when you see the the names on that defense and how well they've played, come on. Yeah. You can trust. If I'm the Ticats, I could turn the ball over at my own 25 and be pretty convinced that we're getting a stop. Because that yeah. defense is awesome. Yeah, absolutely. They've been flying around really, really well. Just before we switch gears and talk about Montreal's quarterback play here, I do have a stat of the day for you oh. on, on Hamilton and their last two games because they have not lost at home the entire time the Steinauer has been the head coach. And then all of a sudden, they don't just lose once, they lose twice, and they lose back-to-back at home as well in a season in which they're hosting the Grey Cup. So I pulled out the uh, the short stat of the day stinger that I have for you here. We haven't used this on this show. This is kind of a marshmallow joint if you listen to us on Mondays. But.
Hamilton Tiger Cats have trailed in only 8% of their offensive snaps in the last two games. <laughs> They're 0-2. Wow. They have led on 92% of their offensive snaps, and they've lost both of those games. Uh, the only time that they were trailing against Montreal back in week nine was at the end of the play in which, or sorry, the only time that Montreal was leading in that game was when Geno Lewis caught that touchdown to force that thing into overtime. Like that's the right. only time Montreal led the entire, it was one snap. There was 83 snaps <laughs> offensively for Montreal in that game. 82 of them, they were either tied or trailing uh, and they were leading on that single play. And then it wasn't that bad against Toronto, but they still end up losing two games in the East, both of them at home. 8% of the time they're trailing <laughs> and they Man. lose both of the games. So wild, wild, wild. Wow. Yeah. Uh, they'll be fine. Come playoff time. Be <laughs> yeah, fine. yeah, I agree. Uh, all right. Let's talk about the Montreal quarterbacking situation. Vernon Dimes Jr. Uh, goes down. I think everybody, as soon as you saw the sling jersey being used, which, by the way, kind of a side note and don't really want to celebrate this, but athletic therapists figuring out that the mesh of the jersey can be used as a shoulder harness. That's pretty, pretty sweet. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a nice little trick that they got going on there. It's cer certainly better than having to like loop a thing around the other guy's shoulder or get carried off the field or, uh, but you see him go off the field, you know, it's serious. He ends up going on the sixth game. And now there's all these rumors out there about where Montreal goes moving forward here. I did a profile of Vernon Adams jr. And the Montreal offense last week on CFL.ca. And I was looking at not just his vertical throwing. That was obviously a big part of it, but uh, looking at the style that Montreal is playing and, now I'm I'm really curious, DT, where you think this offense could go with a couple of different people thrown into the fray theoretically, because the options out there essentially are you go with Schiltz. Yep. You go with I mean Shea Patterson got picked up, but God, if you're Schiltz and you spend that much time as the backup and then they're like, hey, Shea Patterson, you want to start? I if I'm Schiltz, I'm like, what the hell? What am I doing here? Like, I, I guess I'm getting a paycheck and I'm living in Montreal as a backup quarterback, which, hey, not a bad job to be a backup quarterback in that city. But I'm also like, what, am I ever going to actually have, like, your guys' faith? Like, am I going to get a shot to do any of this? Especially after you lead them to victory on that final drive. I'll be against Ottawa um, at the end of Week 10. But you could go Schultz. You could go with a Shea Patterson. Or you can go with the outside stuff. Maybe it's a Trevor Harris. Maybe it's a Nick Arbuckle. Those are some of the things that are out there. And I wonder, because each one of those quarterbacks, each one of those scenarios should impact their offense significantly to look different than the stuff that we have been seeing. I don't think Kahari's going to call or coach this stuff the same without VA. Yeah, uh, Vernon Adams will finish this season, uh, presuming he's done for the year, with by far the highest average depth of target I've ever charted. Like yep. He's over 13 yards downfield per attempt. I don't think even John Jennings in 16 or Travis Lule was anywhere near that. He might have been just into the 11s, but this is 13 plus. It was nuts. No, it um, was weird though. I'll just say about depth yeah. of target, target stuff is that I was stunned when I was doing the prep for the Argos Red Blacks game last Wednesday. I was looking at second down depth of target specifically. McLeod Bethel Thompson had the deepest second down distance uh, 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 depth of target. Uh, mm. In the entire CFL, it was like three yards more than VA on second down. I was like, whoa. So the, the total average is being dragged down from a cloud on first down based on the throws that they're asking him to make and the way that offense is called. But I'm like, on second down, when they open it up and he has to go, McLeod <laughs> yeah. going, going into week 10 was like head and shoulders above the rest of the league on second down when you isolate that. Yeah, I think... Uh... Because I, I have passes, I, I track passes at the sticks or beyond on second down. Highest percentage of passes at or beyond the sticks. And through week nine, I had 16 yards a dot on second down. Oh my gosh! Yeah, I never looked at that stat before. I, I just so, caught it because goodness. I was I was digging it out to try and think. Okay, like where does he line up across the CFL here? And I went, oh, he's first. Yeah. Um, so, anyways, yeah, I want to throw that in. Yeah. Um, Whatever they do, like if they go Matt Schiltz, it's going to be dramatically different and it's probably going to be a lot safer. That Montreal-Ottawa game, I haven't counted. That's something I'll do tonight. But there must have been 12 interceptable passes in that game between those two quarterbacks. It was, fun. It was <laughs> remarkable how much they were trying to throw the ball away. So Schiltz, Schiltz will be safer. He'll be closer to the line of scrimmage with his throws than 13 yards downfield. 
and it'll be safer. And I mean, Montreal, Montreal's probably in a playoff spot if they just play their cards right, right? They have two games against Ottawa. That's super nice. Saskatchewan comes to town. Based on what we've seen from the last couple of weeks, that's potentially winnable. They'd be they'd be in the catbird seat, Montreal, speaking of them, at, at seven wins, right? That would probably hold off any crossover. Yeah. Uh, that would I'm... almost certainly hold off a crossover at that point. I my my inclination is, is you just have to go with Schiltz at this point. And Shea Patterson is there to back up, hold the fort, because I don't really see a palatable option uh around the league. Harris. Uh, Justin Duncan and the gang are, are saying that maybe Nick Arbuckle is available from Toronto. That's interesting. If I'm, if I'm Toronto, am I helping out somebody in my own division at this time of year? Hell no. So honestly, I, I would be okay with seeing Matthew Schiltz knowing, okay, I would love him to be less turnover prone than Vernon Adams, even though Schiltz hasn't quite shown that yet in his career. A couple of things on this one with the Arbuckle stuff, that would be incredible if his career arc in the last two years was most <laughs> sought after quarterback traded for a first round draft pick doesn't, I mean, signs the first time in Ottawa doesn't sign the second time becomes the jilted lover of Marcel Desjardins gets shifted down the road in the Matt Nichols deal, which oof, God, uh, ends up going down to Toronto gets them a really good start at home. And then gets traded again in the East. Like the idea of playing for three of the four teams in the East over a two-year period and being the odd man out on teams that haven't had traditionally great quarterback play. It's like you're going to get bounced from Ottawa for Matt Nichols, who ends up playing a couple of weeks, and you're going to get bounced from Toronto because McLeod Bethel Thompson is doing his thing. But it's like is 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 Macbeth going to do this long-term because isn't Arbuckle supposed to be like the plan and stuff. So I find mm-hmm. that very interesting. The other thing I wanted to mention about this is I'm not saying I'm cheering for it, but I do think it would be a really interesting heel turn. If Kahari and the Montreal coaching staff decided, all right, we've got Schultz in there. He can make throws for us second down otherwise, but we need to protect him a little bit. What did we see this past week? William Stanback standing on the sideline, hunched over, spitting sunflower seeds throughout the whole game. And Cameron Artis Payne in the game, running the rock hard. What if Montreal goes from 13 yards, average depth of target, uh, throwing the ball all over the place, Gino Lewis making great 50-50 ball catches, to why don't we just play like Winnipeg? <laughs> and why don't, But why don't we do it as a two-back system? Because if you look at the personnel that Winnipeg uses, they are predominantly five receivers, one running back, and five offensive linemen just beating you up. Why? Because they have Nick Dembski who can get some carries, and so he's you know a fifth receiver, but he can do some other dynamic things. But they don't feel the need to throw in fullbacks and tight ends and extra offensive linemen and mess around. I think it'd be really interesting if Montreal, I'm not saying condense the box and play single-wing football because you're on your sixth-string quarterback, but what I am saying <laughs> is if you've got Cameron Artis Payne running hard and you've got William Stanback if he comes back and he's healthy that, that would be interesting to me to see them just completely flip the script from like most aggressive downfield passing attack to hey here's a two-back system but again the question becomes do yeah. they have the main question for me is do they have the offensive line to run block and actually move bodies up front because I, I don't think they do consistently but William Stanback was also in the lead of, of uh, the rushing yards on the year, I believe, coming into this game that he didn't play in. So, yep. like, if, if he's up there, that says that they've done a good job blocking up front. And then the secondary question becomes, how quickly can you not only install a, a predominantly different offense, a different way to call your offense, different way to run your offense, how quickly can you install it? And how quickly do you feel comfortable? Because Montreal, this is the sad thing for me, DT is that when VA is out there, VA is an energizing force in the Montreal Alouettes selling the game of football to Montreal football fans. Because he, even when he makes mistakes, they are, you know, stars streaking across the sky going, whoa, look at that. That was a shooting star. And it's like, oh, it was really ugly. Yeah, but did you see it? It was amazing. Uh, like, I, he's always kind of been that type of player. And the idea of them saying to the Montreal fan base, hey, I know this is a tough sell. Okay. I get it. We're not going to have any stars streaking across the sky anymore. We're going to have 
four and a half yards in a cloud of dust. Okay. And we're going to go for it on third down a lot because we think William Stanback can get it for us on third and three, as we were talking about earlier. Like, could Montreal just decide, ah, bleep it. We're just going to take the game back 30 years and go two backs and run it right down your throat. I don't know if that's going to happen, but that feels like an option. I'm trying to think of teams that appear to have a run package of linebackers. Uh, Winnipeg does. Yeah. Uh, Calgary, I think Calgary does as well. Would that be their best chance to get through the East? Like, think about who is in the East in Toronto and Hamilton in terms of the bodies that would have to match up. If you had to go with, like, a fourth linebacker type body and you start going to depth guys or Canadian backups, it's like, it's, it's funny to think about, but Cameron Artis Payne, based on what we saw from him, and William Stanback, what we know of him, who would you take in the hole against the fourth linebacker, the third linebacker, the second? Oh, like yeah. you're you're taking those running backs over and over and over again, and I think that's the interesting thing is it's like okay, now we're playing the odds on style of football and what will win you games in the East to try and get you to a great cup, and it's like it's not the worst idea in the world. No, it's not. Especially, I mean, if teams are going to BC has a five foot ten, 170 pound Sam linebacker. Right in their in their base package, you know that's how they started the season, right? So at some point you can you can flip that, and certain teams are prepared for that. Winnipeg slaps Shane Gauthier in, and Alden Darby comes in for passing down stuff like that. Uh, it's it's absolutely not the worst idea around. My only caution is um, the the Montreal performance was another feather in my cap of running who the particular running back doesn't matter in yep. the Canadian Football League, right? Cameron Artis Payne, who really couldn't see the field, went in there and did pretty much what William Stanback would have done. Um, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm just we, laughing because yeah. I read I read that three down article that's like the insider talk thing of the anonymous quotes um, from around CFL executives and otherwise. I don't yeah. even know who the dude was that they, that Ottawa threw out there as the running back this past week. He was wearing oh like, Delance Turner. Yeah, sure. Was it what was he wearing? Like 45, 49, 49. Was, I think it was. It's like you see a guy wearing 49. He was so. I'm just laughing, giggling to myself, and now I have to explain it. Uh, he was so tentative in the hole. Like, like he was breaking through, and he was like stutter stepping, and oh, I'm going to make three guys miss right here. But he was, you could tell he was trying to figure out, how do I escape this room that I'm trapped in the corner of, and there's a bunch of people coming. And then it's like, hey, uh, guy wearing 49, for every second you stand here trying to figure out how to escape the room, there's more people in the room. I'm like, maybe just goes like just decide and just go somewhere and then i saw that quote from the three donation insider article somebody said man that turner he might be a better option than flanders he seems like a more dynamic back i'm like dynamic i'm like he he doesn't know when to decide where to go i'm like that's kind of an integral skill to be a running back yeah the running back is the third most important factor in the run game let's just (laughs) let's just all acknowledge let's all acknowledge we need to do an episode marsh where i just document every time this season (laughs) where it shows that the running back is the third most important thing start with brady Oliveira in the first game of the season and we'll go to cameron artist Payne in this one looking like william standback because frankly the plays you call and the bodies you move are more important than who runs the football um that's that'd be my only caution i would love to see it honestly i i'm not the biggest run game guy but there's going to be that hard turn at some point in the cfl right if teams keep pushing and we haven't dramatically increased the number of pass plays that we get on a percentage basis but if the league pushes up to 75 or 80 percent you're going to get bodies in there maybe your will linebacker becomes a smaller body too and at that point you just beat the hell out of that guy right you start beating at them with bigger and bigger bodies or you clone guys like jake burt and stuff like that but i probably <laughs> i think that's probably a few more years away than than we need uh i i think it'd be i think it'd be hilarious to see and if if schiltz can't do it if you if you added a running quarterback into that if you added a david watford kind of quarterback into that or even even a dominic davis type quarterback yeah. into that oh hell man two running backs and a quarterback who can run the Baltimore Ravens come north. That could be I, really fun to watch in well, the CFL. I mean, there's some stuff that Saskatchewan is trying to do that with Fajardo and Keenan LaFrance being into the mix alongside William Powell and throwing in Alberta Wachi. And like, they've been trying to do some elements of that. But the funny thing about Saskatchewan, as you know better than anybody, DT, is that they throw that at you. And then the very next play, they go five wide with 
Kieran Moore, Kean Schaefer Baker, Ricardo Lewis, like they just go like condensed, expand, condensed, expand. Yeah. It's just back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, and just hoping to create some kind of mismatch. But uh, yeah, to see a team consistently go to that would be interesting. I will uh, use this as an opportunity while you're talking about quarterback run game to switch up to Edmonton and uh, the Edmonton Elks trying to figure out what they're doing with their quarterbacking situation. The one thing I do know based on what I've seen is that if Dakota Prukop is on the roster, he's going to have a very Jordan Lynch-ish run game package. Like, they're, they're not afraid to just throw him in there and be like, hey, zone read, hey, run Veer. He ran inverted Veer one point this season for like a 40-yard game before he got his helmet ripped off. And I was like, damn, it's been a hell of a long time since I've seen somebody <laughs> at quarterback, A, run that play, run that play that well, and also have the quicks to make. Because the, the great thing about... Dakota Prukop is that when he gets to the second level, he can just outrun people. And it's weird to watch when a quarterback can do that for you. But considering, and this is, here's my take on Taylor Cornelius in terms of the athleticism. And if people want, go back, listen to Marshmallow, because we talked about this a little bit more, but I'll give you the Coles notes. It is that Taylor Cornelius, uh, I love that we make such a big deal about, well, he can move. I mean, he's, that's a big body that can move. And I'm like, yeah, he can move for a person with a big body. Put him in a foot race with Dakota Prukop. It's not the same league. He's going to, it's not, yeah. like, it doesn't even look the same. So the idea of the athleticism classes, to me, it's like, I think Vernon Adams Jr. is up near the top alongside Cody Fajardo. Uh, obviously, Strevy would have been up there if he were still in the league, but then you get to like the Caleb Evans and, uh, Jeremiah five years ago and <laughs> like there's there's certain layers of this and for me Cornelius is like an average run-of-the-mill athlete and everybody goes yeah but he's big and he can move yeah he can move for a big person like the sliding scale of that is I don't I don't care how big you are if mm. you get dragged down and caught from a linebacker from behind because that's what he's going to end up doing so in terms of using those quarterbacks going forward here with Trevor Harris being down like they're going to let Cornelius scramble around once in a while, make some plays, but the called stuff, the actual dynamic stuff, the change of pace stuff for all of the bragging everybody has done and all the talk we've heard about, Oh my God, he's so athletic. They're just going to give those plays to Dakota Prukop. And that's the way that yeah. it should be because he's the better athlete. What about when he takes ridiculous intentional grounding penalties? Does he look athletic on those two? Well, here's my, yeah, <laughs> that's always concerning. He, here's my thing about Taylor Cornelius too, uh, is that, he looks like an Oklahoma State quarterback trying to run. And what I mean by that is that anybody who watches college football, Oklahoma, especially in the last five years with Lincoln Riley, has had themselves Jalen Hurts and Spencer Rattler and guys that can really move in the open field. Baker Mayfield, not the greatest athlete, but like he can get in the open field, make one guy miss. And yeah. And you look at Oklahoma State quarterbacks, Mason Rudolph, Zach Robinson, Taylor Cornelius, Brandon Whedon. Like my oh. whole, my whole life, my whole life, Oklahoma state quarterbacks have been guys who are going to take it in a five wide set, take the snap, take a quick three-step drop, and then throw it over the top and throw vertically. Cause Gundy just wants to sling the dang thing. Cause you can't have a mullet and not throw it down the field. So yeah. Oklahoma state is, they're about that life. And they, they have a certain style of quarterback. He is that guy. Like he wants to throw it. And again, he makes some great throws. He's got ability, but he's clumsy. Like, I, again, the whole athlete <laughs> thing, it's like he's clumsily athletic because he's got natural he's got natural ability to move around, but he is not smooth in any way, shape, or form. And if he gets out in the open run, it's kind of like watching a moose run where it's like, oh, my God, it's moving so fast. But you're like, yeah, but the legs look like they can't figure out where they need to be, but it's just trucking. And so yeah. for me, for me, I have you ever seen a moose run, by the way? In, in oh, Robert? yeah. Yeah, it's yep. amazing. It's incredible. So eh, maybe it's a good yeah. comparison. But I <laughs> his I body do. appears calm when he's under stress, which I think lulls people to sleep as well. Yeah. Um, Glenn Suter said it on, on my show this week. He's got, he's got a great arm. He's got a great arm. He's got yes, a great arm talent. I'm like, yes, but I think what you're saying is he can throw the ball very hard. But yeah. football is this much about throwing the ball very hard, right? Because when a guy is flaring out to the field side, six yards behind the line of scrimmage, you don't want a you don't want a hundred mile an hour fastball out there. If you're throwing a screen pass over defensive end, you can't hum that ball out there. You need touch, right? That was one of my 
it's one of the things with Brandon Bridge that that got me back in the day was, well, yeah, he can throw the ball, but he if he's throwing the ball four yards downfield or 20 yards downfield, he's throwing the same speed. And that is not how you do it. That then, is why that is why I love quarterback play. That's yeah. it's honestly why I love analyzing quarterbacks is that there is not a singular way to play this position in this game. There are so it's why I love when Vernon Adams Jr. goes up against Trevor Harris in the playoffs. Cause I'm like, these are two completely different dudes and their target charts look completely different at the end of the day. And Trevor ends up winning in that E semifinal. Cause he goes unconscious and throws for 93% of his passes being completed. But it's like, when I see people reference arm talent without adding nuance to the conversation of yeah. the other things that go into quarterbacking play, it drives me nuts. If you want to mention arm talent and you want to mention how much he can rip it and always oh, a true quarterback. For me, a lot of the time it's people who aren't quarterbacks who typically say that stuff because there's so much variety. It's almost think of it as a color wheel and it's like, okay, throwing the ball really hard is red touch on the ball is blue. Uh, you know, being able to have good decision-making is yellow. Those are your primary colors. Now let's go into the secondary colors. And it's like being able to throw check downs, knowing when to take your shots vertically, being able to move around the pocket, being able to get it on the run, protecting yourself when you get it on the run. Vernon, please slide. Uh, it, things like that. When yeah. in, and I look at, at Taylor Cornelius's color chart, if I were to do it that way, I'm like, it's 70% red, strong arm. Yeah. Congratulations, arm talent. The other 30% is like, there's a little bit of blue. There's a little bit of yellow. There's not a whole lot of secondary colors. We don't, yeah. there's not a lot of greens and purples. And it's just, it's, it's basic, but it's also in its infancy stage in the CFL. So I'm not going to bang the guy for it. I'm just saying Edmonton right now is sitting down Trevor Harris for whatever reason they're deciding to do this, whether it be injury. I mean, there's all sorts of reporting out there that you can dig into. Status, yeah, whatever like is, yeah. All of that stuff is up in the air, but they're actively doing this because they've been talking up Taylor Cornelius because he was in the XFL with Elizondo because it was good. There's tension apparently between Elizondo and, uh, and Trevor Harris from the things that are kind of coming out now. And it's like, well, maybe he's just playing Taylor Cornelius in spite of him because he wants to prove a point or like the whole thing is just so backwards that I'm looking at it and going Taylor. I, I, again, I, I don't feel bad saying this because I don't know the guy and I don't, I don't really care. It's like, yeah. he's not going to be a star in the CFL. Like no, they're they're, no, like, not. they're they're putting they're putting him out there and they're promoting him and trying to sell him and I'm like he's not going to be a star in the CFL and neither is Dakota Prukop. Sorry Dakota, I love your game, super athletic. You're not going to be a star in the CFL. Trevor Harris is a is a pretty established player who's playing really bad football right now. It's unfortunate, but I'm like none of those three guys are the answer. So why are we acting at all in Edmonton like this is the direction this needs to go? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, to your point about arm talent, uh, the whole comprises the parts. Arm talent comprises things like arm strength. Mm -hmm. And if, but you can't be arm talent equals arm strength. That's nuts because man, that ball flies on a tight spiral and it flies hard, but you hit a guy in the shins or you make Greg Ellingson reach two yards behind him with a yard and a half long arm. That, that ain't going to work. You, you throw a guy, you lead a guy into the middle of the field and you put him in the hospital that that ain't that ain't arm talent arm talent is oh arm talent and quarterbacking is oh this guy's going into Jameer Thurman I'm gonna have to throw it behind him so I don't get him murdered and he won't be able to yak but at least he's going to have he's not going to have brain damage at the end of this play and I don't I don't see that in any way with Taylor Cornelius uh just from a numbers perspective uh adjusted Completion percentage over expected and accuracy over expected. Trevor Harris through nine weeks is number one in the CFL in both those categories. So it hasn't looked great in spots, but his accuracy has not fallen off at all. There's a lot of stuff going on in that offense that doesn't make any sense, but Trevor throwing the ball in spots where he should is number one. Taylor Cornelius, who's had two full starts and two full weeks. I think it's two starts, but he's had full weeks of practice yeah. for those starts is third last in one and second last in the other. Like he is not accurate and he doesn't complete the balls at the rate of even like it's well below an average CFL quarterback. And it isn't, he found out the day before he was playing. No, no, he had the week. And Elizondo had the week to fit it, you know, make a plan due to him. And that Tuesday game, the Ottawa Edmonton game, where I watched him 
check down and throw hitch screens and stuff and they weren't all accurate like a hitch screen to the field side is accurate 90 percent of the time and he was in no way was he that and gah when he tried to put the ball down the field you can fluke out balls to shy ross all you like fine whatever but if you can't hit the dig route um you're not long for this game and yep. i don't i this one makes no sense to me other than disharmony or some greater reason why yeah. either Trevor Harris or Jamie Elizondo is gone at the end of the year is my interpretation of this move right here. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it, th- there has to be something happening in the shadows that we don't know about yeah. in order for this to be the way this is shaking out. Cause it's just, this is not the way that the season is supposed to go. These are not the decisions that are supposed to be made. And to me, it was uh, the cold nature as well of Elizondo stepping up to the microphone and saying, we're going with 15 and 14. And then, Dave from Chad is like, so what's happening with seven? <laughs> He's like, I, I love that he kept the numbers. He's like, so like, so seven. Um, like it's, and he's like, yeah, we're not getting the quarterback play that we need right now, so we're we're gonna move forward. Um, but also, two things that I've noticed in the world of football this past week that have concerned me and shown me that there's there's problems in organizations. One, both of the Kansas City Chiefs offensive tackles are wearing towels on their hip like they're quarterbacks or running backs. Uh, that to me that just says you're a flawed team. If That's you're an weird. offense if you're an offensive tackle and you're wearing a towel like you're not touching the football ever, you do not need a towel for you to be wearing that says me your organization is flawed cuz nobody got in your ear and was like, "Hey, what the <laughs> hell are you doing?" The other thing is Jamie Elizondo having a goatee and then not having a goatee and then having a goatee and then not having a goatee. That's that is not, flawed. That's yeah. not a good sign for your organization when your coach is changing up now the picture of consistency in your organization is Mike O'Shea. You can set your clock to that beard. I mean, you look at that thing, it is pristine on game. Now there might be a little bit more gray, but it's always going to have that little bit of North Bay ginger in there. Okay. And he's always going to be able to have that mixture. And that's not dyed. It's you show up every single game day and he's in the summer. He's always wearing the t-shirt. and He's got the cargo shorts. Okay. You get towards the, the winter. He's always got the hoodie on. He's got the long, I mean, it's, you look at that man, he is consistent. And I'm concerned when Elizondo, you know, one week he's got this very crisp goatee. I didn't even see a beard come in. So how he went straight to the goatee, I have no idea. But then all of a sudden the goatee is just gone and the wins, they still aren't coming. So that is the biggest puzzler for me in this entire CFL season. I thought, man, look at all this talent that uh, Brock Sunderland acquired. I don't know how he got all these talented players on the same team and to see it just get run into the dirt, um, yeah. either yeah, I can't even say uh, either Darrell Walker and Greg Ellingson aren't good receivers because that's insane. They were all they were all star level players in 2019, and now Ellingson is a game where his only catch bounced off another dude, and he got one yard receiving in a game. That's that's not I lost my talent. That's there's some malpractice going on there somewhere, <laughs> and. Uh, someone's getting cleared out come uh come january like it's so it's so bizarre i i just wonder there's a couple organizations i wonder about and they happen to be eighth and ninth in the cfp power rankings right now uh would we do those this week i feel this is such a stupid week i'm so tired of these like holidays and short weeks and games on tuesdays and when i don't even know what day it is right now but um I I quickly here before we get to what to look for in each of the three games coming up, just a nice little three game weekend for you here in week 11. Uh, The coach facial hair power rankings uh, off the top of your head, the the candidates involved would of of course be Craig Dickinson. Cause I think his John, yeah, Yeah. his his John, John Malkovich look is very strong. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then I think uh, Mike Benavides, I think needs to be involved in this conversation as a defensive coordinator. He keeps changing it up, though. Like, he's he reducing as we go, yeah. But when he goes Fu Manchu, it's the best in the CFL. That's like, really good. Yeah. He has a strong Fu Manchu look. Uh, I'm trying to think who else should be in this. Obviously, O'Shea with the O'Shea. Uh, Kahari. The... Oh, yeah. Kahari's, Kahari's had that solid goatee for as long Underrated. as I can uh, that, that we forgot about it makes me go, yeah, that's... That's that's just a part of him now. That's a beautiful. That's a beautiful thing. Like I I envy I envy that thing badly because mine is patchy nonsense. How do we feel about the stubble on Dinwiddie? It, it's very Toronto man. Yeah, I could do without it. Honestly, I think maybe <laughs> just clean and just go right down to the wood and just clean that off. Um, Doesn't it look like a guy who works on Bay Street though that you'd see on the Go Train? 
Oh, the, the five o'clock shadow guy who I, I honest, <laughs> honest boss, I shaved at six 30 this morning on the way in and it's already back. Yeah, absolutely. I'm with you on that, but uh, yeah. Kahari O'Shea Dickinson with the, I mean, I, I like Dickinson a lot. It just yeah. fits his face. It just, it's beautifully done. And honestly, he probably doesn't think too much about it. It just goes, ah, look good. And this is, he looks good. It's, it doesn't seem like a high effort one. It's I, true. Not high effort, but it's not like the, the, the people who would craft a pencil thin mustache, <laughs> like, right. He's not putting the, the super duper level of, of obnoxious care into it. That certain folks would, he's just like, no, this is me. I look good. Boom. Done. No, it's a weird thought. Take O'Shea's beard and put it on any other coach in the CFL and see what their face would look like. And the even weirder one, take Craig Dickinson's goatee and put it on Dave Dickinson. <laughs> oh, yeah, there you that, go. That's, that's a weird. Anyways, there you go. That's your uh, your facial hair talk for the day here on CFP, uh, as, which, as you can tell from me, uh, probably need to get a little trim in there. Uh, the, the, the what to watch for here coming up. And this weekend's games, just three of them, as I say, Winnipeg-Edmonton is the first game coming up for you on Friday. I can't believe you have a Calgary-Saskatchewan uh, rematch coming up in the uh, the very near future here down the road again. But that is in week 12. And so for you yeah. this week, DT, it is – it's, it's a bye. It's get to breathe for a second here. Montreal-Ottawa is the rematch this week, and then Calgary-BC. Let's begin Winnipeg-Edmonton, uh, and it is, again, Friday evening what are you looking for in this one? Is it just the Edmonton quarterback play or is it something else? It's probably, it's probably just the, it's probably the Edmonton quarterback play. I kind of wonder if they're going through all these changes as a guy who has James Wilder 20 to one to win the rushing title. At what point are they going to start screwing around with their best player this season and James Wilder? Um, Just whatever might be happening there. Uh, It's the quarterback play. I'm looking for anything, a professional football coach, and his general manager, who know football a thousand times better than I do, made a conscious decision to put a notably worse player on the field at the most important position in professional football. And I'm going to look for anything that makes me think that that was a wise decision. Because mm. at this moment, I know Trevor's been bad this season. He had that great game against Calgary, but it's been a real poop fest other than that. I'm, I'm trying to find anything and not just the sexy big arm stuff. I'm trying to find anything else that makes sense from a football perspective because I, at this moment, do not see it at all. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Uh, I Edmonton is is so interesting the way that this is unfolding. And as you say, there's likely consequences. There have to be consequences. There have to be consequences. Uh, at the end of the season, they're likely going to get a Cavus Reed moment there with somebody having to kind of take the brunt of this. But I am looking at Winnipeg and thinking to myself, like they had a chance to bury, bury Edmonton early and often in that game last Friday. And they didn't like Zach threw an interception in the end zone. And all of a sudden now Edmonton's lingering around and, Oh my God, is Winnipeg going to end up losing to Edmonton because they just can't finish the deal. I'm like, in my mind, this is one of those weeks. This is one of my favorite things in sports that I say, it doesn't matter what the sport is. If you are a truly dominant champion, if you really want to prove that you can absolutely obliterate anybody, anywhere, anytime, and you can go out and get that championship, the teams that are reeling and that are looking for help of any way, like Edmonton, mm-hmm. break them over your knee. <laughs> like, because when I, when I see a dominant team and I see them able to, like, we used to say this at McMaster when we were a really, really talented team, bunch of future CFLers, we would play against a team that we knew we should beat. And the idea was like, and you know, we would never say this publicly, but sometimes the coaching staff would kind of say to the, to the starters, like we want the backups in to start the second quarter. Like we want, we want <laughs> you guys to have essentially the day off. It's your job to go out and get that 21, nothing lead. So we feel comfortable putting our backups in because we think our backups are as good as their starters, but we need you guys to do your job in order to make that happen. And I'm not saying Winnipeg's trying to do that. What I am saying is when you have a chance to make the plays that can give you a 28 to 10 lead instead of being up 17, yeah. 10, make those plays, man, make those plays. I think that's what I'm looking for is the killer instinct from Winnipeg coming up this week. Kenny uh, Lawler back for them this week. That'll be nice. Yeah, He's yeah. Uh, contending for the league lead in reception in receiving yards. So good, that'll be good for their offense. 
the one weird one I do want to mention too on James Wilder Jr. because he brought it up was there was a game where Edmonton was down late and instead of throwing it down the field, they gave it to James and he ripped off like a 30 yard rush. And in my mind, because I, I wasn't really worried about fantasy or any of the over-unders and these things, but in my mind, I looked at that and I thought to myself, man, I wonder what his contract bonus is for yards gained on the season. <laughs> and I was like, that feels like one of those where you hit the end of the year and it's like, oh yeah, he made his contract bonus for X amount of thousands of dollars by 50 yards. You're like, do you guys regret calling that draw in the fourth quarter with seven seconds left? Because I would if I oh, was no. running the bank. <laughs> no, that was not the Ottawa game. Was that the it second Ottawa been, yeah. loss? <laughs> yeah. And Ottawa goes into like a cover 10, yeah. right? They just drop everybody back 40 yards with three seconds left. So they hand it to Wilder. And fun fact, I was on the Wilder over in yardage. And that play, because Ottawa went cover 10, anybody who had the over on Wilder's yards for that game hit the over. It was an incredible, it was the backdoorest of covers. And I, that's the one thing I'll, I'll, if I see Jamie Elizondo, I'll thank him for that backdoor cover where I won a unit in my gambling that week. Yeah, (laughs) ridiculous. Uh, Ottawa, Montreal, the rematch coming back on this one after an entertaining back and forth. Uh, looks like it will be, I think, Matthew Schultz in this one. Caleb Evans gets another one. Uh, this one's going to be in Ottawa. And uh, I want to see Caleb Evans start to take a progressive step. I think this is where I'm at with Ottawa is just wanting to see kind of like where he can kind of structure his his development moving forward. And for me, for me, Caleb Evans, his, his interceptions, he didn't have to throw those picks, and it's not that complicated. And he, he missed a couple of throws. He didn't handle the ball the way that he probably should have. Uh, and so I just I want to see him take some steps forward, and I want to see him make the easy fixes because I do think they exist. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm curious to see what five dudes they put at offensive line because they're just changing that up all over the place. What rando will be at running back for them in this one? Um, yeah, Montreal, I, I kind of want, I just want to see Matt Schiltz. I, I want to see this happen. I think Montreal will just mop the floor with Ottawa, even though the last one was close. I, I want to see what Matthew Schiltz is all about because, man, he added some dynamism in that last drive. Hey, he yes. looked fit. He looked live. He looked fantastic. And We've got 175 throws, whatever, of, of his career. So we know a little bit about him. Uh, I remember a, a rider pounding him in the spine and he gave up the ball and it turned out, <laughs> I think Earl Okine ran it in for a touchdown in the 2019 game that was then canceled by lightning. Uh, so we've seen some of Schiltz, but Montreal, just win, baby. Just win. Yep. But if you win, that locks in the Ottawa under three and a half, probably because Ottawa, the rest of their schedule is tough. And if Ottawa goes under three and a half, uh, me and a lot of my friends win a lot of money. So (laughs) Montreal win is all I truly want from this because uh, I just, I don't see what Ottawa's, Ottawa's got a coaching staff sticks around. Ottawa's got to do some cleaning at the end of the season too. Yes. Yeah, for sure. It looks like it. Uh, And the last one I will leave up to you here, DT Calgary, BC. You've seen Calgary both the last two weeks. What are you looking at? Uh, I'm looking at a BC win because man, if Calgary wins and they'll play one more time, if Calgary wins and takes the, the tie break against BC too, eventually that's going to be a nightmare for Saskatchewan as they've already clinched the tie break against Saskatchewan, but Sask has it over BC. Yep. Uh, I, I want to know, can BC really keep this going with having zero uh, desire to, or ability to run the football? Like they're, they're four and four. They've had some games in which they were really close. Both games against the Riders were really close to BC victories. They they could just as easily be six and two as they're four and four. Uh, so I, I wonder, can they really, with Michael Riley and without Lucky Whitehead, who the pictures of his broken hand were pretty gross. Like not as bad as Deion Sanders' pictures of his foot, though. I don't know if you saw yeah. those today. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> But uh, without Lucky Whitehead, can uh, can BC keep this going? Because that guy is the biggest of big play threats in 2021. Yeah, uh, yeah. is BC ever going to run the ball? Is is just I'm curious about it because I don't. Winter won't matter so much when you're indoors and people True. say you got to run the ball in winter, and I don't really buy that. But five carries for five yards. Yeah. I don't know. I don't, I'm just, I just want to see it happen. I want to see if they can do it. It'd be entertaining as all get out if they do it. Uh, that's going to do it for us here 
on the breakdown. Thank you, everybody, as always, for checking us out, hanging out, having fun. That's DT on SC. Make sure you check him out on the sports cage and, of course, on Riders Games, but no Riders game this weekend. So, hey, a little bit of downtime. Well earned, my friend. Uh, I am at TSN underscore Marsh. We are at CF Perspective. Thank you, as always, to Fox 40 for being a huge supporter of all things Canadian football perspective. If you want to get back in the game with Fox 40, you can visit fox40shop.com. The shop coaching boards, gear, and more. Use the code CFP15 at checkout for 15% off of your order. Have yourselves a great week 11, everyone. And we will talk to you coming up next week right here on The Breakdown.